Welcome to the First Prez Podcast, which features the message from this past Sunday's worship. Our services are Sunday mornings at 8.30, 9, 10, and 11 o'clock. You can learn more about First Prez at firstprezcos.org. A hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, who does not look to the proud, to those who turn aside to false gods. Many, Lord my God, are the wonders you have done, the things you planned for us. None can compare with you. Were I to speak and tell of your deeds, they would be too many to declare. We give thanks for God's word. Let us pray. Lord God, we just keep going in this song that you are so good. And we look around and we take it in. It's almost too much to declare. And so I pray, loving God, that you would speak your goodness to us today. That you would help us to remember again, God, that you are here with us. That you are at work. That you are doing a new thing in our lives. So speak, Lord. Help us to listen. Help us to receive. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever gotten stuck? Years ago, I was driving to the gym late one evening. It was mid-October, that time of year in Colorado when the first snow can come any day, any moment. Now a little bit of backstory for you. I am from Florida. (laughs) And we are known for a lot of things down there in Florida. Beaches, Disney World, uh, the world-class Florida Gators, yeah? I had to get that in there one more time. I just had to work that into my sermon one more time. But you know what we're not known for in Florida? Our winter weather driving conditions. And this was a huge adjustment for me when I moved to Colorado. I spent my early years driving while wearing flip-flops in 80-degree temperatures on very, very flat roads. So this was a huge adjustment for me living in Colorado, you know when you're driving and it's barely snowing and you you pass someone who's going like negative 10 miles per hour? That's me. (laughs) Next time you're in the Denver area and there's snow flurries and you see a really, really slow Honda Civic, be sure to wave. Be sure to wave. I would love to see you again. Honk your horn. Say hi. So I'm driving to the gym that night and it starts to snow. The roads had already become slick. I go to turn, and and I lost control of my car. It slid into the other lane. Mercifully, there were no other cars coming. My car jumped the curb up onto this median and and landed right in front of a, a small tree. After I had collected myself a little bit, put my car in drive, hit the gas, nothing. Put my car in reverse, starting to panic a little now. Put my car in reverse, nothing. My car wouldn't move. I was completely stuck. Do you ever feel just stuck? The circumstances in your life seem to have stalled out. Your tires are spinning, but you can't get any traction. Your last unemployment check just came through. And for the thousandth time, you've wondered, God, what are you doing? 
You keep sending out resumes, you keep checking your email to see if anyone has responded, but, but, but nothing, you're, you're stuck. Maybe you've been living with mental illness since you were a teenager, but lately things have gotten really, really hard. Your depression, your anxiety, it feels just like you're sinking deeper into the pit. Maybe you just went to your fifth wedding this year and it's not even June. And you're so happy for all your friends. You're watching them get married. You're so happy for them, but, you, but you're wondering, God, is this ever going to happen for me? Maybe the season of grief that you've been walking through, it just seems never ending. And they say it's darkest before dawn, but you're wondering, God, is morning ever going to come? You're stuck. Maybe you've been living with a, a chronic disease for a while now, and the doctors don't have any answers for you, and you're left in a lot of pain. And what's worse is that the disease has started to make you feel isolated from your friends. They can't seem to understand what you're going through. One month of being sick, okay. Three months, fine. But five years now? Maybe life for you has just felt like a series of, of disappointments. Some professional, some relational, some spiritual, all hard. And for all your trying, you just can't seem to get your feet under you. Maybe your bad habits, your addictive patterns are eating you alive. Maybe you're stuck in anger or in unforgiveness. And you just can't see a way forward. Maybe right now you're stuck, feeling stuck in a relationship with your parents, with a sibling, with your spouse. Maybe lately time with God has just felt like pulling teeth. God, why are you so quiet? Why do you seem so distant? Why isn't anything better? Whatever your situation, whatever stuck looks like for you, you find yourself saying, God, I need you to do something. I need you to do a new thing. I need you to break through in my heart, in my life, in these circumstances, because I am feeling stuck. There are times in our lives where we simply feel like we are sinking down into a slimy pit, deep in mud, stuck. And what do we do? Where's God? How do we hold on in those places? And really, more than that, how does God hold on to us in those places? Stick with us in this unstuck series. And in this series, we'll look at what God is doing in those stuck places of life, how God meets us there and carries us through those hard places. And today we look at what it means to wait on God when we are sinking deep. To wait on God. Because stuck is part of the story, but it's not the end of the story. Stuck is not the end of the story. Amen? Verse 1. I waited patiently for the Lord. In our passage today, David is telling a story of his past. There was this one time when I waited patiently for the Lord. Now, we don't like to wait, do we? Just tell a crowd at the airport as they compulsively watch the flight info board that their flight has been delayed again. 
see how that goes over, and to wait patiently, well, that basically feels like an oxymoron. I can wait bitterly. <laughs> I could wait begrudgingly. But wait patiently? No, thank you. We're teaching our son, Luke, right now what it means to wait. He's two. <laughs> How do you think that's going? Yeah, let me tell you, uh, not well. <laughs> you try telling a two-year-old these words, just be patient. <laughs> and here's what I've noticed about toddlers. When they're told to wait for something, they behave externally the way the rest of us feel internally. Luke falls dramatically to the floor, and he just lays there. And sometimes there's yelling, sometimes there's hitting, almost always there are tears. And I think that's how we feel. Maybe we don't flail our arms around, although maybe you do. But internally, we are kicking and screaming at God. And for me, at least, there are always tears as well. <laughs> but the psalmist says, I wait patiently for the Lord. The Bible talks a lot about what it means to wait, and it's never a, a passive thing. But it's hard to wait. Let's just go ahead and name that. It is hard to wait for God to move when it feels like we are sinking down into a muddy pit. And so for us this morning, two reflections from God's word on what it means to wait for God to move. And the first is this, cling to goodness. Cling to goodness. Author and therapist Dan Allender, he said this in an interview. He said, hang out with people who are confident of the wild goodness of Jesus and who aren't apt to offer quick or silly and superficial solutions to life's struggles. The second half of that quote is worth its weight in gold. And we pray that this sermon series is the exact opposite of offering quick or silly or superficial solutions to life's struggles. But I want us to focus on that first part of the quote. Confidence in the wild goodness of Jesus. I've been stunned by that phrase ever since I first read it, the wild goodness of Jesus, confidence in the wild goodness of Jesus. And, and what does that mean? Well, it means something like this. My circumstances are not good, but God is good. What I'm walking through, what I'm looking at is not good, but God is good. Now, I know that sounds dangerously close to a cliche. I know, but I mean something wilder, something far more beautiful than it can ever fit on a bumper sticker. The goodness of God cannot be reduced to some tweetable phrase. It's embodied in the person of Jesus Christ. You wanna know what God is like? Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus Christ, and there you see the goodness of God. When we talk about the goodness of Jesus, I am not talking about some throwaway line that we use to try to cover up the pain, to minimize the mess. I am talking about the wild goodness of Jesus that disrupts death. 
the wild goodness that tenderly speaks to us in our deepest places of shame, that moves us from isolation to the joy of being known again, the goodness of Jesus that just welcomes you, that just welcomes you. Maybe you look exactly like a two-year-old, <laughs> kicking and screaming, snot down your face, tears flying, I speak from experience. <laughs> Maybe you look exactly like that, and you know what? Jesus just welcomes you into his presence. Not a word of condemnation, just welcome. That's the wild goodness of Jesus. I'm talking about the wild goodness of Jesus that speaks forgiveness to us and says this situation, it won't get the last word in your life. I'm talking about the wild goodness of Jesus that just keeps bringing beauty from ashes. That's the wild goodness of Jesus. Psalm 27 says this, I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. Somehow, I will see the goodness of Jesus. And I think sometimes clinging to goodness, it looks like a full body workout. <laughs> we're sweating, our muscles ache, Maybe we're completely out of breath, and it's all we can do to keep holding on. Which means waiting on God is less like sitting in the DMV, mindlessly waiting for your number to be called, and it's more like a wrestling match, actively engaging God through wordless prayers, tears, lament, speaking your, your anger, calling to mind again and again, this is what scripture says, this is who you are, Jesus. This is what you've done for me. Which is also why waiting alone is never a good idea. It's like swimming alone is a bad idea. Waiting on God by yourself is no good. When my car got stuck in the median, you know how I got out? About 10 seconds after my car came to a stop, all of a sudden there were all of these people around me. A guy grabbing his truck, another guy getting rope, a woman who offered to stand with me so I wouldn't be alone in the dark with all of these strangers. And you know what I learned that night? I learned something really important. People from Colorado are awesome. <laughs> yeah, give yourselves a hand. I was like, this is a great place to live. I don't know how to drive here, but this is a great place to live. They were so quick to help me get unstuck. And we'll talk more in, in future weeks about what it means to lean into community when we find ourselves stuck. But let me say this, some days I won't be so sure of the goodness of Jesus. I may forget. I may be in a season so bitter I may have been in that pit for a long time now, and I need you. I need you to slide up next to me, to cry with me, to hold my hand, to wait with me, and to whisper, Katie, he's good. Jesus is good. 
His love will not run out on you. And his faithfulness will not quit on you. He's that good. I need you to sit with me, embodying the goodness of Jesus. Because Jesus doesn't just stand next to the pit. He climbs down in there with us. He's done it before. And he will do it again. In the book of Exodus, when the people of God were slaves in Egypt, we read these words. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. And I am concerned about their suffering. The Lord says, I see you. I hear you. I am concerned for you. And then verse 8. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land. The Lord says, so I have come down to rescue them. The wild goodness of Jesus looks like him going all the way down, all the way down to the cross, taking our sin, our shame, our guilt upon himself, all the way down, buried in the grave, and the wild goodness of Jesus looks like Jesus walking out of the tomb. That is the wild goodness of Jesus that disrupts death. Maybe you're here this morning and you're exploring, you're not a Christian. Maybe you don't believe in the resurrection power of Jesus. Maybe you don't believe that he walked out of that tomb. And so I would say just start here. Start with this idea. There is a love that is stronger than death. There is a love that disrupts the power of death. That's the wild goodness of Jesus. Cling to goodness. And secondly, dare to hope. Dare to hope. Waiting is not a passive activity, but an act of hope. This is not the end of your story. This is not the totality of your story. God will put a new song in your mouth, a hymn of praise. We dare to hope and what the Lord will yet do which means we bring before the Lord our, our longings, the ache we feel and the hope we hold. If there's anything that I have learned from, from my counselor, and I have learned a lot over the years, one of the best things that I have ever done is to start seeing my counselor. But one of the key things I've learned from her is, is this twofold movement, staying awake to our ache, our, our grief, and staying awake to our hope. Not denying the grief, the disappointment, but at the same time, holding on to what is true about Jesus. And this is so hard because so often our go-to move is to numb what we feel, to numb the, the longing, the, the grief. For some, it's alcohol. For others, it's Netflix or food, or a variety of other things. But we shut out and shut down the longing we feel, the ache for something new. But to dare to hope is saying, I won't ignore the grief, and I won't shut down the hope. I will hold both together. God can handle both. That's why I love the Psalms. Do you ever wonder 
am I allowed to say that to God? Read the Psalms. Read the Psalms and see how God invites the full expression of our experience, of our desires, of our feelings. See the language the psalmists use, crying out, expressing joy. Songs of lament and songs of hope. Honest prayers, expressions of frustration and anger and trust and love and praise. All of it brought before the Lord. I was reading a a blog the other day that talked about what it means to live in between Good Friday and Easter. To live in between death and resurrection. What we call Holy Saturday. What does it mean to actually live in this place of of waiting? And the author of, of the blog, a pastor in the UK, said this about our reluctance to wait on God. He said, we race disconcerted, to make meaning and find beauty where there simply is none yet. No, we don't try and pretend like everything is okay when it's clearly not. But we hold out hope for what God will yet do, that something new can spring up from the ground. A wise friend reminded me recently that to make any change You have to do something differently. You have to do something differently. This week, attend an AA meeting. This week, find a counselor. We've set up a a counseling coalition referral line. If you want to take that step, you can call the number. It's on the screen. It's in your bulletin. And we'll help you find a, a counselor that you can start seeing. Maybe this week, just talk with a friend. Someone who is safe and trustworthy. Tell them I'm stuck. Tell them your story. Maybe this week just put pen to paper and tell God how you really are feeling. Maybe be honest with God for the first time in a long time. We take a step hoping for change. For something new to spring up from the ground. In the book of Lamentations, and the title clues you in to the mood there, In the book of Lamentations, we find these words. Yet I still dare to hope when I remember this. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. I say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance. Therefore, I will hope in him putting my trust in you, God. Because you, God, are the one who raises the dead. And I don't know what you will do in these circumstances, but I'm daring to hope in you again. I'm putting my trust in you, God, because God, you are the one who calls into being things that were not. You did it before. In creation, out of primeval chaos, you brought order and beauty, and you will do it again. When Christ returns, all things will be made new, all things set right. And so I am trusting you right here with this relationship and these circumstances. I'm tired of trying to wait, make a way on my own. I'm putting my hope in you because you bring something out of nothing. And I'm daring to hope in you again. 
Yes, sometimes waiting and watching is all you can do. But it's not a passive thing. Cling to goodness. Dare to hope. How long will you have to wait? I don't know. But I do know that Jesus is wildly good. And his love will not quit on you. And his faithfulness will not run out on you. He's that good. How long will you have to wait? I don't know. But I do do know that God is the God who raises the dead. Who brings life to dead circumstances and dead situations and dead relationships. God is the God who calls into being things that were not. Beloved church, Cling to the goodness of Jesus. Dare to hope in Jesus. For Jesus, the risen one, is making all things new. Let's pray. Lord God, you are our hope, and we look to you this morning. Would you give us courage? Would you give us encouragement? Would you give us your mercy again? We love you, Lord. In your name, amen. Thanks for listening to the First Prez podcast. If you would like more information, you may visit our website at firstprezcos.org.